Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom for our post spring game edition of Real Pod Wednesdays. Everybody got their chance to watch this year's Buckeyes in Vichu on Saturday. And uh, certainly a lot of eyes went to the quarterback position and specifically Kyle McCord, which was when we when we recorded this last week, we were under the impression that we were going to see a Kyle McCord versus Devin Brown showdown in the shoe. Unfortunately, that didn't happen because Devin Brown suffered a finger injury in practice last week and uh, was unable to uh, play in the spring game. He is expected back and the competition will continue into the summer because while I think we certainly went into that spring game thinking that Kyle McCord had a chance to separate himself as Ohio State starting quarterback, I think we would agree that that didn't happen on Saturday. Yeah, it was not, you know, a star turning performance from Kyle McCord. It also wasn't like it was a, a complete catastrophe or anything like that. Uh, we'll get into some, you know, more of the specifics here a little bit, but um, one touchdown pass, so a very nice touchdown. What was it? 36, 37 yards down the sideline to Carnell Tate, who, of course, is one of the most buzzed about Buckeyes coming out of the spring. Um, but Dan, really, a, a lot of a lot of time, especially early, especially against the first team, Ohio State defense. A lot of struggles moving the moving the ball through the air. Um, you know how how much of that has to do also with the the offensive line. We'll get into that as well. But you know some inaccurate passes, I would say, um, just you know not exactly. The Ohio State offense was not operating in in midseason form, and you know we shouldn't have expected it to because you know you've got a new quarterback in there, you've got some some moving parts on the offensive line. You're also missing a lot of key weapons at wide receiver. You know that would have made things easier for the likes of Kyle McCord. Um, but, you know, overall, I would say it was a mixed bag. And then certainly afterwards, you know, we had kind of already known going in based on what Ryan Day had told us in that Wednesday press conference that, you know, no final decisions were going to be made on the quarterbacks after the spring game. You know, so so at that point, it was like, OK, even if Kyle McCord comes out and has a, a he lights it up out there, I don't think we're going to come to a final decision on the quarterback. And, you know, that's that was the sentiment that was echoed. That was the sentiment I think we all got from McCord's performance in general, kind of, was that, okay, this this thing's going to play out, you know, a little bit longer here into the preseason. Yeah, all in all, I wouldn't say that anything in Saturday's spring game really surprised me, and I think that's the benefit of Ohio State allowing us to actually watch more practice this spring, and that I think a lot of what we saw on Saturday matched up with what we had seen all spring, and I think that's very true for Kyle McCord, because I kind of came away every time we watched McCord of kind of the same sentiment that he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great either. And so I think that's kind of where we come out of the spring looking at Kyle McCord is, you know, you, you can see the tools for him to be a great quarterback. It doesn't seem as though he's there yet. Now, like you said, a, a couple things that are important to factor in here for one, the fact that, he played nearly all of the game without Ohio State's top four receivers. The Marvin Harrison Jr. played just two drives, and his best drive of the day was his second drive of the day, which was also Marvin Harrison Jr.'s last drive in the game. So that's no coincidence there. When he's got Marvin Harrison Jr. on the field, and when he's also got Emeka Buka and Julian Fleming on Xavier Johnson on the field, he's probably going to look better. And so 
that's one factor. Secondly, like you mentioned, and we can get a little bit more into this after we talk more about McCord, but you know, the offensive line, particularly in pass protection, clearly has some issues right now. And so I think, you know, when you look at those overall stats, and I did a piece for 11 Warriors on Monday that, you know, I would encourage you all to read, especially if you missed the spring game for some reason or whatnot, it, breaking down every throw of Kyle McCord's spring game performance. And, you know, you look at his final stat line, 18 of 34 for 184 yards of one touchdown. Like that's not a great stat line. That is not a stat line that's going to jump off a page to anybody. With that being said, when you look at it a little bit closer, okay, for, three of those incompletions were throwaways because there was pressure in his face basically immediately, and he had no choice but to throw the ball out of bounds. And three of those were dropped passes. So if you take the throwaways out of the stat line and then you turn the drops into completions, his numbers would be 21 of 30, around 220 yards, and two touchdowns. That stat line looks a lot better than the, the actual stat line. And so he wasn't that far off from having what I think everyone would look at as a good day. Now, with that being said, there were also at least three passes that could have been picked off. So you could look at that the other way, too, and go, you could add two or three interceptions to that stat line, and then his stat line looks bad. So, you know, I think you, you average that all out. Like I said, I don't think it was a terrible day for Comico. I think if you go back and you really, you know, there's always going to be the overreactions, you know, especially, I think, from, you know, the people who, you know, probably the people who aren't listening to the podcast, probably the people who the, they haven't really been paying that much attention. And the spring game was the first time they they really looked at this year's Buckeyes and they see Kyle McCord make a few mistakes. And, you know, I think that leads to overreactions of, oh, my God, you know, Kyle McCord's awful. We're, we're, we're doomed. And I think if you really go back and you rewatch the game as a whole, that's not what you're going to find. You're going to find a, you know, a quarterback who didn't have a great day, but, you know, I think a quarterback who showed some things that can make you think, you know, he has the potential to be the guy, to be Ohio State's next great quarterback. But it certainly doesn't seem like he's there yet. And, you know, Ryan Day has said it before. Ultimately, we're going to evaluate these guys on how effectively they move the ball down the field. And like you said, you know, he only threw one touchdown pass. I'm I'm trying to do I'm trying to do the math in my head, but I it was either I don't remember was it two or three of his drives that ended in touchdowns. But you know, there wasn't a consistent moving the ball down the field and in putting together effective drives. And when you combine that with the fact that he also put the ball in harm's way a few times and was lucky not to have a couple turnovers on his day, certainly it was not the kind of day he needed to, to solidify himself as the starting quarterback. And that's why this competition is going to continue on into the summer. Yeah, Dan, I think it's worthy of being echoed as well. We remember Ryan Day has said on a few occasions that with, with all the you know phenomenal skill talent around uh, you know whoever is going to end up being named Ohio State starting quarterback this year the the guy does not have to step in under center and you know be a superstar they just have to kind of distribute the ball to these weapons uh, and things like that and like we just said you know Travion Henderson wasn't out there today Mayan Williams you know got a few snaps 
Marvin Harrison was out there for a few snaps, a lot of injuries on a wide receiver, you know, and running back. So, you know, that is certainly not the, the complete package that we saw out there with those guys on Saturday. But I also think on the bright side for Kyle McCord coming out of that performance, Dan, uh, it's like you said, you know, it's, it's not like he cost himself anything either because, you know, Devin Brown wasn't able to, to go out there and, and show and, and have a better performance than McCord had, because of course Brown was injured. And I think we were looking at Kyle McCord already as, you know, he entered the spring really as, you know, the, the favorite in a lot of people's eyes to end up winning the starting quarterback job while there wasn't a ton of separation between either of those two guys at any point throughout the spring practices we had seen prior to the spring game, it still felt like, okay, well, Devin Brown is still going to have to make up some ground. Maybe that'll be in the spring game. Doesn't end up getting that opportunity. So now, even though the quarterback competition isn't resolved, Dan, it still feels like McCord is going to be the guy to beat in the preseason. Yeah. I mean, I kind of come out of spring in a similar place to where I was going into the spring to where I, you know, I viewed Kyle McCord as the favorite, but not a lock to be the starting quarterback this year going into spring. And that's still the way I look at it going into the summer. I think he has left the door open for Devin Brown to steal the starting quarterback job. But I also don't think Devin Brown has walked through that door yet, at least not based on what we've seen in the spring. You know, it's, you know, a lot of what we said about Kyle, I think would also apply to what we saw from Devin, where there's some good moments and some bad moments. And unfortunately, we didn't get the chance to evaluate him in that spring game setting, which again, you know, there's always going to be the debates of how much does a spring game really matter. But I do think, especially for a quarterback, you talk about playing in the stadium, in the spotlight. I, I, I do think that matters for a quarterback. And we just didn't get to evaluate Devin in that setting. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, this is a competition that's going to continue into preseason camp. And, and, and I mean, if we're being realistic, like it's probably for the best for Ohio State for this competition to continue into the summer, because if not, then you'd got to have a hard conversation with one of the guys about what's your future at Ohio State, whereas now you can kind of leave it open for competition and they're both going to be around and you want to have both of them on the roster. They did, they did both say neither of them has thought about transferring, but there's no reason for them to think about transferring right now because they both still have a real chance to win the job. If, if this thing was more decided, that might be a different conversation. And so uh, I, I think there's certainly some benefit to keeping this competition going into preseason camp, but we also did hear Ryan Day say before the spring that he wanted to name a starter by the end of spring. So I think that does tell you that he hasn't seen everything he wants to see from either of these guys yet. But I think he was hoping that one of these guys would really show that they should be the starter of a spring. And that hasn't happened yet. So that doesn't mean they won't get there, but it does mean there's still a lot that has to happen this summer for Ryan Day and Ohio State to go into that first game in September feeling really good about their quarterback. And I think perhaps maybe even more than the quarterback position, the biggest concern right now for the Buckeyes coming out of the spring has got to be, you know, like we were talking about the, the pass protection that the, the, the all five guys coming together on that offensive line. That certainly also seems like, you know, in terms of just the tone of Ryan day, when he's talking about that position group, you know, he, he said that they're not doing it, you know, consistently up front there, there, it, it looked inconsistent out there. It's kind of the, the, the harshest critique, really, I thought of, of any particular group, um, you know, in hearing Ryan Day's post-game remarks. And, and, you know, that's another thing that didn't really change, right, from what we saw coming into the spring. It was like, you know, the spring game was an opportunity maybe for 
uh, you know, some of those guys to start turning the corner and, and playing consistently at a, a starter, you know, caliber quality. And I don't know if we ended up seeing that. And I think, you know, the Buckeye offensive line ended up sacrificing like five sacks uh, that were credited by the, you know, the, the statistician, statisticians and whatnot. Um, certainly a lot of disruption back there for the quarterbacks. Um, and so it, it leaves, you know, the likes of Justin Fry and Ryan Day in an interesting position here, Dan, because I think we're all still thinking, you know, do, do they think that they have to bring in some kind of high profile tackle now with the transfer portal opening back up to come and maybe, you know, take over that right tackle spot? Or do they think that, you know, the, the talent is going to be good enough with more development through the preseason for a guy like Tegra Shabola or, or Zen Mahalski to, you know, end up securing a starting job there? Yeah, in my mind, offensive line and, and specifically pass protection is by far my biggest concern right now that I have for this Ohio State team. You know, because we we've Ryan Day's track record with quarterbacks would suggest that, that they're going to be fine at quarterback, especially if all those weapons that they have around him. That you know, I, I think they're ultimately going to be fine at quarterback. Are, is Kyle McCord or Devin Brown going to be a CJ Stroud level passer this year? I don't know about that, but. I think they're going to be good enough at quarterback considering the talent they have around the quarterback. I cannot say with confidence right now that Ohio State's offensive line is going to be good enough for the Buckeyes to achieve their goals this season. And that's why we're talking about the possibility here over the next couple of weeks of Ohio State hunting for more offensive line help in the portal, which again, I mean, as you know, and it seems like every time we record this on Tuesday afternoon, something else develops by the time we publish this on Wednesday. So you never know what'll happen. But you know, as we sit here on Tuesday afternoon, at this point, I haven't heard anything specifically about potential targets in the transfer portal. So we'll there's plenty of time for that to develop. But as of right now, I, I haven't heard Ohio State specifically connected to any any tackles in the portal of if they're really pushing for right now, but I think they definitely have to evaluate their options out there at tackle because I just, I I cannot sit here and say, based on what we saw this spring, that I am confident that what they have right now is good enough to get the job done at offensive tackle. And that doesn't necessarily mean it won't be. I mean, there's time, there's still plenty of time for those guys to develop. Um, But, you know, I think specifically at right tackle, I, I, you know, I just don't know if they have what they need right now. You know, I think, you know, from what we saw from Zen Mahalski, there was a lot of inconsistency there, uh, particularly in the spring game. You know, I think Tegra Shabola is a guy that's going to be a good player for Ohio State, but I don't know if he's ready yet. I think he might be a guy that needs another year of development before you're really going to feel good about him as a starter. Uh, and I, I look at Josh Fryer and I go, I feel pretty good about Josh Fryer at right tackle. I don't know if I feel great about him at left tackle right now. And so I certainly do look at offensive tackle as the biggest concern on this team right now. And there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get some instant upgrade in the transfer portal. There just isn't, especially in this second transfer window. But they, they've they got to figure something out there. They, they've got to figure something out there because I, I do think, you know, to me, in my mind, that's probably what's going to determine whether this offense continues to be the elite offense it's been, or if they take a step back. Yeah, Dan, I mean, certainly it doesn't take a genius to, you know, recognize that, you know, offensive line play, line play in general on both sides of the ball is, you know, key to winning football games, but just, uh, 
you know, talking about this topic right here and, and kind of reflecting on, we got to talk to, to Urban Meyer the other day um, after the, the coaches clinic, and he was talking about what he feels like the kind of the difference has been in the Michigan rivalry in recent years. And, and he said, you know, that no one studied the rivalry more than him. He thinks he, he's taken it, you know, maybe more seriously than any, any coach, you know, in recent memory, you know, at Ohio state, things like that. And he said that, you know, winning the line of scrimmage is the the key to winning that game. Obviously Ohio state hasn't won that game in back-to-back years. And now you're coming, you know, you think about what the Michigan defensive line did to Ohio state's offensive line two seasons ago. And that seemed to be a, a far more talented offensive line that Ohio state possessed that year. Obviously the personnel is different, you know, on the other side of things for Michigan as well. But um, in terms of if this being a year where people think, you know, the pressure's really on to win that game, uh, certainly co- come entering the season with, you know, this many questions on the offensive line is is not an optimal situation for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I think that's a very good, very good point right there. Now, the good news for Ohio State is the defensive line's looking really good. And I think the defense in general had a really good spring. You know, I've, and I've I, you know, we've said it all along, but it's, it's felt like the defense was a step ahead of a s- offense all spring. And I think that certainly continued to be the case in the spring game. Uh, the defense won by a final score in the modified scoring system of 40 to 31. And and really, I, I think the game was more slanted toward the defense than the scoreboard even shows. For, for one, uh, w- one of the four touchdowns the offense scored was Archie Griffin's touchdown, which was fun, but the defense made no effort to stop him. And so, you know, there, there's a part of me that kind of sits there and goes, should that really count toward the score? And then the other part of me goes, Dan, it's a spring game. Let's not take ourselves too seriously here. But when you when you evaluate the performance of the defense as a whole, okay, okay, you take that out. You also look at the fact that the one thing I thought was flawed with the spring game scoring system is that they got points for forcing a punt. But when the offense went for it on fourth down and they got stopped, the defense didn't get points. So that seems like a flaw in the scoring system as well. Again, not that it really matters, but just to illustrate the point that I think the defense was clearly ahead of the offense on Saturday. And as we've talked about all spring, it's the two sides of a coin. Is is the offense where you'd like it to be right now? No, but we all know that coming out of last season, the big question has been, is the defense going to get better this year? And I think you can come out of spring feeling optimistic about the defense trending in a positive direction. Oh, absolutely, Dan. I I would absolutely agree with that, you know, assertion you just made there. And, you know, they they did, the defense did give up three long touchdowns, right? We're, we're taking the Archie Griffin run off the board. And as much as I would want it, you know, to be real, as much as I wish Archie was, it was out there in the, in the pads and, and ran some guys over for a touchdown or something. Uh, it was really just the, the three touchdowns for the Buckeye offense. And Dan, I believe all three of those came you know, without the actual first team defense on the field, or at least the most of the the personnel for the first team defense, if I'm not mistaken on that, one of them was the the chip, the big chip Tranum run, um, the the Carnell Tate touchdown uh, with uh, Jair Brown in coverage, um, him seeming to be you know mostly a the second team cornerback this season, depending on what they end up doing with you know kind of alignments there, and then the the late touchdown from Gebbia to Noah Rogers. Uh, you know, there was some th- some third team guys on the on the uh, the field at that point in time in the final few minutes of the the fourth quarter uh, when things weren't you know maybe quite as intense on the field down there. So, uh, you know, you may be looking at the those three big touchdowns and like, okay, that's that's what the defense is trying to 
you know, stop from happening this season after, you know, what happened at the end of last year. But obviously the, the offense had so many more plays because it was, you know, just rolling over, just constant offense defense there. Defense isn't like getting off the field. So, um, yeah, all things considered, the defensive line continues. Like you, you said before, Dan, it was like almost every storyline it felt like going into the spring was just kind of confirmed in the spring game for the most part in terms of the defensive line excelled once again. The secondary really held up well again. I thought, you know, Denzel Burke had a really good performance. The cornerback play all around was was pretty, pretty good. Um, you know, Ryan Day has been really high on the secondary, you know, with his his postgame comments as well. Um, and even some some standout linebacker play as well, Dan, even with guys like Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg injured. Yeah, I think you make a good point there about the explosive plays, which while you don't want to see those, there were very few starters on the field, or at least guys who are going to be starters uh, in the fall on the field for those plays. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can you should worry too much about those plays, but I think there were a, a, a lot of positives uh, that you can take away. I mean, certainly the secondary, and, and to me specifically the cornerbacks, I mean, I, I've said it all spring, and I'm going to double down on it again. I I think right now, I, I think the cornerbacks are the most improved unit on this team. And I, I think cornerbacks, which we have to say was a weakness on the team last year, I think the cornerbacks are going to be a strength of this team. I'm, I'm going to say that right now. I think the cornerbacks are going to be a strength of this team. I think Denzel Burke, from what we've seen from him and the way everybody's talking about him, I think he's going to reestablish himself as an elite corner this year. And I think they've got a, a group of guys with you know Jordan Hancock, Davison Igbenosin, and Jair Brown behind him that they, they feel pretty good about. I mean, I think we saw some good things from Ryan Turner and Jermaine Matthews in the spring game as well. And so I, I like the, the direction they're trending in at corner. You know, I thought the safeties did well too while they were out there. You know, it seemed, you know, again, hard to evaluate a spring game where they basically played 30 snaps each. But, you know, it seemed like Josh Proctor was where he was supposed to be consistently, which is has been my big question with Josh Proctor because we know he has that ability, but we've seen him have issues at times with just not playing assignment sound football. You know, it seemed like he was where he was supposed to be doing his job. And so I think, you know, that's a really important thing uh, for him. Um, you know, and it seemed like, you know, Leif and Ransom, Cam Martinez, they were doing what they were supposed to do when they were out there too. And so, you know, I think that secondary in particular, you know, that that's such a big question mark going into the season. And I come out of this spring feeling very good about the trajectory that they're on there. Yeah. How about the performances from really a slew of, of second year Buckeye defenders who, you know, may have not gotten a whole lot of opportunities, you know, as true freshmen, uh, you, you have to start with the two five-star talents and CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles. Uh, both of those guys, Dan, made made quite a few plays. I think they both had six tackles on the day, which was tied for, for second uh, among all Buckeyes. Hicks had, I think, it was two near interceptions that that end up going down as PBUs. Styles had one as well, I, I want to say. I think Styles also had a, a really physical hit over the middle of the field, trying to break up a pass to Kojo Antwi, just kind of showing his you know physical skill set, his, his physical characteristics there. You know, both of those guys, I really thought, you know, Hicks in particular kind of had more of a standout performance than we had seen, Dan, because I know on previous podcasts, we had kind of talked about how, you know, we can't make this, we can't make up, you know, a, a guy flashing on the field if if, if he's not really standing uh, out to us. I thought he did on Saturday, though, and Ryan Day 
spoke highly of him after the game. Yeah, Ohio State fans got their wish on Saturday because we've been hearing about uh, everyone wants to see CJ and Sonny played more. And, uh, you know, our guy Matt Guttridge put in the yeoman's work to uh, count up all the snaps. And CJ Hicks played the most snaps of any Buckeye in the game. And Sonny Styles played the second most snaps of any Buckeye in the game. So uh, we got to see a real extended look at those guys. And I think it's safe to say, based on the way they performed in that game, that the calls for those guys to play bigger roles this year are only going to grow louder because I think they both had excellent performances. Like you said with CJ, that that's the kind of performance I've been waiting to see from CJ because I think at, at practice, he looked fine, but he never looked great. I think in the game, I think he looked great. And so uh, that was a really good performance by CJ. Again, I you know what's his role going to look like? It's hard to say because Jim Knowles, very rarely rotated at linebacker last year. And so is he really going to be willing to take steel chambers off the field on a regular basis to get CJ Hicks in there? I, I don't know about that, but you could certainly see the flashes in that spring game of a guy who has the potential to be a great player for Ohio state in the future. And I think the same is certainly true for, for Sonny styles, which we did see kind of a preview. I think of what that, you know, quote unquote streamlined role that Perry Eliano uh, is talking about in this game because we saw early in the game when the offense was going to two tight end personnel that they were taking Cam Martinez off the field. They were putting Sonny Styles in the game and he was basically playing that third linebacker role like we saw him against Georgia to match up with the tight end. And so it seems like that's the role they're really targeting for Sonny Styles this year is to be that situational guy in those two tight end sets to come in and and replace the nickel and give them a bigger body in those situations. Will that grow into something more? We'll see. I mean, obviously the scheme was pretty vanilla in the spring game. And so uh, we're really not going to know until the fall what else that could develop into. But it does seem like there's a real role for Sonny Styles in this defense. Whether that role is big enough, uh, that's open for debate. But it does seem like at least there, there's certainly a plan for getting Sonny Styles involved in the defense this year. Yeah, how about Hero Canoe? I thought you know he might have flashed to me more than anybody else in terms of young defenders for the Buckeyes. Another second-year guy, of course, a defensive tackle, the Germany native. Uh, he uh, ended up finishing with like five total tackles, I think two tackles for loss, um, a, a sack as well. I thought like during the game, Dan, I, I thought he had a couple sacks. Honestly, I don't know how you know, what ended up happening there with the the crediting and things like that. But when I was watching it live, I know I had tweeted a couple of times that, that he had seemed to make a sack, obviously with it being non non-contact for quarterbacks. Sometimes that can, that can get a little weird, but he was making plays pretty much all day long. It seemed like Dan, and that's a guy who I think he only played like 16 snaps or something like that last year. Uh, we know that Larry Johnson likes to rotate guys this year at a de- defensive tackle. It's kind of you know, there's three guys kind of in that mix at the the top of the the group. Hero Canoe kind of stated his case there to maybe you know get get some some more looks in that room uh, moving forward in the second season. Yeah, that was big for Hero Canoe because he's another guy that I kind of felt in the practices we watched this spring. He never really caught my eye, uh, but I think in the spring game he did, and so I think that's big for him. You know, I thought you know Jaden McKenzie was a guy that actually kind of caught my eye more during the practices. And so, you know, I think there's two guys there that, you know, could potentially give them some extra depth at defensive tackle. You know, we know that Ohio state did take a look at uh, tank Booker who ended up transferring to Arkansas last week. And so uh, I think other than offensive tackle, if there's a second position, Ohio state 
might look at in this transfer portal window. It's adding a backup defensive tackle, but I'm not, I don't see that to me. I, I think if the right guy is there, somebody who would be willing to come in and be a fourth defensive tackle and give you some quality depth, I think it would make sense. But I don't think that's one they need to force. I, I think that's one. I think most likely with Jaden McKenzie, Hero Canoe, and then, you know, potentially contributions from, you know, Caden McDonald, Will Smith Jr., even Jason Moore could play inside. You know, maybe those guys give you some additional depth too. And so I don't think they need to chase a defensive tackle in the portal. I think it's possible if the right guy's there that they go get one. But I think seeing what you saw from Hero Canoe uh, certainly uh, is a good sign, you know, at a position where they do have some depth questions. Two other second-year defenders that I want to mention too, uh, Gabe Powers is another guy who I I thought had a good spring overall, and I thought he had a really good spring game. He actually led all defenders and tackles with, with eight tackles. And I think there's another guy, you know, you look at him, he's probably fifth in the linebacker pecking order right now between Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, Cody Simon, and CJ Hicks. But he's a guy that, you know, I, the more I've watched him, the more I think, you know, he, he's making a case to get, get some snaps this year. You know, I think he's, he had a really good spring. And so, you know, I think it's still probably more likely that, you know, 2024 is when he's going to have a chance to play a bigger role than this year. But he's certainly a guy that I'm going to be keeping my eye on based on what we saw this spring. And then I mentioned Ryan Turner before as well. He actually spent most of a game playing in the nickel safety role. With Jihad Carter being out, he was mostly playing that second team nickel role. But he did get some snaps at corner as well. And I thought he looked really good in in, in coverage. He had one really nice tackle on a, a third and three crossing route to Caleb Brown, stopping him short of his sticks. He also broke up what uh, was really probably the best throw of the day from Tristan Gebbia, uh, you know, putting it right where it needed to be for for Kyan Grays. But uh, Turner was able to break that pass up and and prevent a long touchdown. And so uh, that's a guy I remember, you know, you bringing up his name, you know, earlier this offseason as kind of a guy who, you know, maybe he gets lost a little bit, like you couldn't really project a spot for him. And again, I, I still don't know where he necessarily factors in on the depth chart, but to see the performance he had in that game made me think, all right, let's not. Let's not write off Ryan Turner as somebody who could make an impact in the secondary down the line. For sure. And, and then back on the offense, obviously we talked about the quarterback position, offensive line, uh, there was certainly some skill position guys that that made some impressive plays as well. Uh, we, we already mentioned kind of the, the, the Carnell Tate touchdown, the Noah Rogers touchdown, obviously two of those three early enrollee wide receivers, uh, you know, that room still uh, awaiting the arrival of Brandon Ennis in the summer. Um, but Jaden Ballard, Dan, how about that? Crazy one hand, like full extension, one hand catch on the sideline from him. That was certainly one of the standout plays um, for, for, you know, really the, the offense early on, especially. Um, and, and, you know, those are all guys that are, are, are fighting in that room for opportunities this season with, with all the guys that were out for the spring game that figure to, you know, really dominate a lot of the reps unless some of these guys can continue showing some of those things consistently, you know, this preseason. Yeah, I mean, I think another illustration of the embarrassment of riches Ohio State has in that wide receiver room, which, uh, I mean, again, Ohio State was without three of its top four receivers on Saturday, and yet you see guys like Carnell Tate and Jaden Boward and Noah Rogers, and you think, uh, we got we got to get these guys on the field soon too, right? I mean, you talk about it, Brandon Ennis isn't even there yet. You talk about guys like Kojo Antwi and, and Caleb Brown and, and Keon Grays who were all out there for a lot of playing time on Saturday. And so they have so many options at receiver, but 
it does feel to me like, you know, again, if we assume Marvin, Emeka, and Julian are going to be the starters, and Xavier is going to also have a role in whatever that might look like as a slot receiver, running back, whatnot. I think if you're looking at, okay, who else is going to fill out that two deep? It definitely looks right now like Carnell Tate and Jaden Bauer have put themselves in position to fill out that two deep as, as the backups on the outside. Now the question becomes is, will that lead to actual playing time this, this fall? Because, you know, Ryan Hartline has said it over and over again. I'm not going to take the starters off the field unless the backups can do everything they can do. And we know guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka, they can do a lot. And so there's no guarantee, even with great springs, that Carnell Tate and Jaden Bauer are going to see more of an occasional playing time this year. But I think they both certainly stated their case this spring as guys who at a minimum should be on the two deep and perhaps should get a share of the snaps in the wide receiver rotation. How about a running back, Dan, where, you know, I had written a piece about Chip Tranum and Dallin Hayden really getting the spotlight this spring because of all the injuries at running back. Chip Tranum really won the day as far as, you know, running back performers, aside from the great Archie Griffin, of course. Uh, but, you know, Tranum busted off that 65-yard touchdown in the first half, the first touchdown of the day for the Buckeye offense. And, you know, that wasn't like some some anomaly either because we had already seen him, you know, bust off a 70-yard touchdown run in one of the scrimmages previously in the spring. And, and he ended up with over 100 yards on eight carries leading the way for Ohio State in the spring game. Uh, certainly an impressive performance from him as, as a guy that, you know, with, with, with all the injuries there, it's like, man, uh, you know, he, he could certainly make some noise if guys like, you know, Mayan Williams, Trayvon Henderson, I know Henderson just, uh, I believe tweeted the other day, Dan, that he's, he's all cleared now. So that's certainly a good thing for Ohio state. Uh, but just the fact that those guys have been a little injury prone now for, you know, this past year and, and change and everything like that. Chip Tranum's the guy that if he continues to be healthy and reliable for Ohio state, I would not be surprised if he gets, you know, a, a decent role in this offense this year. Yeah, again, you talk about a bar- embarrassment of riches, right? I mean, I think you've got you've got four running backs in Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, Chip Trainum, and Dallin Hayden, who would probably all be starters for a lot of teams in college football. And so, and you got Evan Pryor too, who you know, who also I think has some ability. You know, he's been out for a year of a torn ACL, but he's another guy who's got some ability too. And so, I, I think you've got a really loaded running back room in terms of talent. And you know, that's a good thing because, like you said, one, there were injuries last year, and and two, I mean, let's be real. If the pass protection issues continue, they may need to rely on the run game a little more heavily this year. Because I do think from what we've seen, I, I think the offensive line in its current state is much better in run blocking than it is in pass protection. And so, uh, you know, being able to being able to rely on the run game is going to be a really important thing in terms of helping out potential weaknesses in pass protection and open things up for the pass game. And I think the depth that they have there at running back is going to go a long way toward helping with that. And certainly I think Chip Trainum is a guy you look at, you know, I mean, that, that wasn't the first time we saw that from Chip this spring. We saw it in one of the scrimmages. He had, I think a 70 yard touchdown run, you know, a guy, his speed at 230 pounds uh, can be a weapon for them. And so do they have to find a way to get him on the field and get him a role? I certainly think there's a strong case for that based on what we've seen this spring. And one thing that, you know, we haven't really talked about all that much and really I think is probably flying under the radar is the kicker situation for Ohio state. Uh, you know, with obviously Noah Ruggles leaving the program 
and uh, Jake Seibert entering the the transfer portal in you know in the aftermath of the spring game and everything like that. Um, you had Parker Lewis and Jaden Fielding handling field goals out there. Uh, Fielding missed one. Dan Parker Lewis did uh, make one that he attempted. You know, those are guys that haven't. Neither of those guys have actually attempted a, a field goal in an actual game for Ohio State. So, um, you know, that's that's a little bit of a battle that no one's talking about. But obviously, when you look at how the season ended for Ohio State this past season something where Ohio State would would like to have a reliable option there at the position. Yeah, I, I think that's a bit of a quiet concern that we really haven't talked about. But I do think there's a question mark there of, is Ohio State going to have a kicker that it can consistently rely on? And, you know, I know that, you know, no Noah Ruggles, but people hear Noah Ruggles now and they think of what happened in the college ball playoff game. But Noah Ruggles was incredibly reliable outside of that kick for the past two years. I mean, he has the highest field goal percentage in Ohio state history. And so he was a guy on, on again, that was a long kick for Noah Ruggles on shorter kicks. He was a guy who was money. I mean, he was a guy who, you know, inside 40 yards basically made the kick every single time, you know? And so I, I think that's the question is, I mean, I think both Jaden Fielding and Parker Lewis have stronger legs than Noah Ruggles. And so you hope that you will have an upgrade in the sense of if you need to make a long field goal, like you needed in the peach bowl, that one of these guys might have more of a leg to be able to do that. But I think in terms of that reliability on short yardage, I think it's very much an unknown right now of whether you're going to have that. And so I, I think that's a, a, a bit of a question mark. I mean, it's certainly not as big a concern as we're talking about, you know, the offensive line of a quarterbacks, but I do think that's a question mark that uh, they're going to need to find the answer to there of, okay, between Jaden Fielding and Parker Lewis, who can they rely on most? Who's the guy that they can count on most when they need to make a 35, 40 yard field goal? And, you know, we did see Parker Lewis make his and Jaden Fielding miss his. But I mean, that's way too small of a sample size to to really make a determination there. And so I think there's a lot to be determined there. So, Dan, let's get into a little bit of post spring starting lineup projection here, obviously, as it's kind of a natural stopping point with the Buckeyes looking ahead now to the summer and preseason um, just based on everything all the all the you know stuff we've gotten to see obviously we've talked about how we, we got to watch more practice than usual more scrimmage reps and things like that so i feel like in, in a lot of places we've we've got a decent sense of you know how things are going to shake out starting lineup wise at least you know by the the, the start of the preseason um certainly you know we, we already talked about a quarterback it's the battle is unresolved as of now but i think we still both believe that kyle mccord is the man to beat in that race Yep, that's that's where I am right now. I know I'm not certain about it, but I do. I would have to pick right now that you know the first game of September. Who do I think is going to be the, the quarterback running out there first? My pick would be Kyle McCord. Dana, running back. You know, Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson. Assuming everything goes good with them getting back fully healthy, you know, by the start of the preseason, everything like that. I don't know though, because both of those guys have had their moments. I don't think it it necessarily matters who is going to start game one at that position because. I think we'll see both guys get plenty of reps this season, but who do you think, Dan, right now, would you say is, is RB1 for Ohio State? Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, I think if I if I have to pick, you know, I'm going to do a depth chart projection for 11 Warriors here this week, and I, I think if I had to pick, I have to put someone to number one. I would go with Mayan Williams solely because of the fact that he was the leading rusher last year, but I think they're both going to start games. I think, you know, they're probably going to give them both starts. And I think they're probably going to both play a very comparable amount of reps, assuming assuming both of them stay healthy. And so I don't know if it really matters 
who the starter there is at running back. I think the bigger question is line of what we just talked about. Will there be a role for Chip Train in that rotation? Will there be a role for Dallin Hayden in that rotation? Uh, you know, they've all made their case, but there's only one ball. And so, um, you know, you, you'd still have to think Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson, assuming they're healthy, are going to get most of a reps. But I do think it's possible, certainly, that Trey and or Hayden could also have a role in there. Yeah, I think you, you've got to look at Trenum right now as the, the third running back just based on the spring he had, the explosive playmaking ability he's shown, and just his build, his ability to maybe absorb absorb more punishment, you know, especially if other guys are getting banged up and everything like that. Dan, let's look at the wide receiving core where, of course, you know, Marvin Harrison, Emeka, Buka, and Julian Fleming are the three guys that, that figure to, you know, start as the, the starters, given that they were all starters last year. Of course, uh, Buka, Fleming, Xavier Johnson, all guys that were injured and missed the spring. Harrison, you know, limited a little bit just because of his, you know, he doesn't have anything to, to, to really prove at this point. Um, so, Dan, who do you think sees the most snaps, though, beyond those top three guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think those three are going to play the most. Like I said, I do think Xavier Johnson is going to have a role. I mean, I was watching Brian Hartline's presentation at the coaches clinic last week, and he said Xavier Johnson is going to be a top four round draft pick uh, next year. And you can quote me on that. So. Uh, that tells me that if he's talking that highly of Xavier Johnson, that he expects Xavier Johnson to see significant playing time this year. So I do think that he is going to have a role in the receiver rotation. Beyond that, I'm just not sure because I know how highly Brian Hartline thinks of Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, and Julian Fleming. But I do think Carnell Tate certainly made a push this spring. I think Jaden Ballard certainly made a push this spring. And I'm still not going to rule out Brandon Innes because I know he's got a ton of talent. A tight end, Dan, Cade Stover, obviously the leading man there returning at that position group. But of course, Ryan Day has, has talked this spring about wanting to really, you know, use 12 personnel, use two tight end sets um, and, and, and talking about just the, the importance of the development of the, the two kind of front runner guys behind Cade Stover, which, of course, are G. Scott Jr. and Joe Royer. Um, Dan, would, would you have a, you know, out of those two, one guy that you feel str- stronger about in terms of being potentially that guy that lines up on the field alongside Stover or occasionally even, you know, in place of Stover? Yeah, that's one of the toughest spots for me to project on the depth chart right now. because I don't know if there's a clear front runner there to be that number two tight end. I think that's a competition that's certainly going to continue into the summer. We did see G. Scott play more last year. And I think, you know, he's somebody who's been more buzzed about just because of his you know coming in as a top 100 recruit but i think i lean slightly toward royer i because royer was a guy who seemed to have some momentum going into last year then he got injured uh tragically lost his mother and so he, he wasn't able to have the kind of year that he envisioned but i think he's still a guy that ohio state really likes and so I, I'm gonna lean slightly toward Royer there, though I do think that both Royer and G Scott are gonna see their share of snaps in the offense, and it could be a comparable amount of snaps. Yeah, Dan, that was actually one really interesting takeaway I had from the coaches clinic because I was watching Keenan Bailey's presentation. And you know, we always talk about you know what these guys need to do to kind of round out their game to get more playing time and stuff, but it never gets like all that deep in the weeds. Whereas like in the presentation, Bailey was breaking down uh, the, the different like modifications they do. With like they were putting like handcuffs on G Scott because of something to do with his hand placement that he needed to work on, putting like a band on Joe Royer's arms to correct some other kind of technical thing. So that was a very interesting thing to see. Both of those guys obviously campaigning 
to get that role. We'll see how that shakes out. Moving along to the offensive line, Dan, we'll start at left tackle where, you know, Josh Fryer towards the beginning of the spring was was put in that position. Um, I know you you said before you're not, you know, maybe 100 percent sold on him playing there, having played more more so, you know, right tackle previously. Um, and of course, Dan, if Ohio State does end up bringing bringing in any kind of you know offensive tackle prospect, perhaps Fryer could end up at the other side of the line. Yeah, I mean, I think right now, if you just go based off a current roster, you'd have to say that Josh Fryer looks like the starting left tackle. They certainly treated him as such in the spring game as he played basically all of the first team snaps at left tackle. So I do think for right now, he's the guy, but I'm not sure that's set in stone yet. Like you said, I mean, it, a lot of it is going to depend on if they can find a guy in the portal who could be an upgrade at either tackle spot. The one other wild card that's still kind of out there is could they consider moving Donovan Jackson to left tackle if they don't feel like their current tackles are good enough? Could they consider that? We didn't see Jackson take any reps at tackle this spring, so I would still say that's unlikely, but I also think the tackle questions are big enough that they at least have to consider it because I think they have to consider every option right now. Yeah, I know that we talked to Donovan Jackson. He said that, you know, that was a discussion, you know, at the early, early after the 2022 season concluded, but that him and Justin Fry kind of figured that 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 wasn't the direction they're going to move in. But of course, we have seen some some preseason uh, changes in alignment on the offensive line in recent years for the Buckeyes. So, you know, it, that's certainly an option they could consider. Dan, how about at center where Carson Hinsman is really, you know, taking the, the, the lead in, in that battle, obviously coming in with. Jacob James being out for the spring limited. Uh, it was it was him, Hinsman versus the Louisiana Monroe transfer, Victor Cutler. Hinsman certainly seemed to get the better of that battle this spring. And, uh, you know, now you just kind of wonder, if can Jacob James reemerge in that battle when he gets back fully healthy? Yeah, I think it's possible. Like one thing that caught my eye, I was watching offensive linemen warm up at one point before the spring game on Saturday. And James was out there in the line with the first team guys. So I don't know. I, I just really don't know on that one because we didn't see Jacob James practice at all this spring. But I, I do think it's I do think Jacob James is going to get a shot in preseason camp to compete for that starting center job. And I think Hinsman did well enough to position himself as the front runner going into camp, but I don't think he did enough to lock that job down yet. And so if I have to pick right now. I would pick Carson Hinsman to be the starting center this year, but I, I'm not ruling out Jacob James as somebody who could still potentially win that job in preseason camp. Yeah, Matt Jones at right guard. I don't know if there's much to talk about there. I don't know. You know, uh, he may be the the least talked about uh, Buckeye on the roster this spring. Honestly, uh, you know, obviously a much more interesting situation next to him at right tackle with Shibola and Mahalski. We talked about that a little bit, Dan. Uh, certainly, you know, possible that that neither of those guys ends up being the starter there. Um, if Ohio State ends up dipping into the portal. Yeah, to be clear, as an offensive lineman, it's probably a good thing if you're one of the least talked about Buckeyes during spring practice, which I think is probably true for both Donovan Jackson and Matt Jones. And so I think that's a good thing. I think that's the one spot on the line you feel really good about right now where you feel like you have two really high-quality starters. But certainly at right tackle, as we talked about, I think that's the biggest question mark right now. You know, if I if I had to pick right now, just based on the guys that are on the roster, I would lean toward Tegra Shibola because I think based on what we saw this spring, I thought Shibola looked better than Zen Mahalski. 
But I do think there's a fair likelihood that the, the right tackle is somebody who's not currently on the roster yet. We're going to, you know, I think in a couple weeks from now, after the, after the post-spring transfer window closes, we'll have a better idea on that. But I'm certainly going to be monitoring that the next couple weeks to see if they bring in somebody else to potentially play that right tackle position. Moving on to the other side of the ball now, we'll start at defensive end where obviously JT and Jack Sawyer kind of have those those two starting jobs really locked down. Of course, a big emphasis this spring was you know trying to build some depth behind those guys now that multiple guys from last year's defensive end rotation have left the program. Uh, Caden Curry, I felt like came into the spring as the guy that people were kind of spotlighting the most. I feel like though, Dan, out of that group, which, which also includes Kenyatta Jackson, Amari Abor, uh, I kind of feel like Jackson had the the flashiest spring of, of any of those names. I would agree with that. And I thought I thought Curry had a good spring game as well on on Saturday. So I think Curry's very much still in line uh, to play a lot of snaps as a second string defensive end. But I think Kenyatta Jackson is too. I think the kind of spring he had, I think he put himself in position uh, to potentially be the number three defensive end. I think that could go either way, but I wouldn't be surprised based on what we saw from Jackson this spring, if he ends up getting the most snaps of the backup defensive ends. A defensive tackle, you know, we, we talked about the, the three main guys there, Tyleek Williams, Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton. Uh, you know, where do we end up, you know, seeing Mike Hall, you know, perhaps can play both of those spots there, three tech and nose at defensive tackle, you know, Tyleek Williams being more of the, the three tech guy, Ty Hamilton being more of a nose. Um, I think all those guys are going to get a ton of, you know, snaps this season. And uh, but the, that that leaves the question, you know. Of course, Larry Johnson likes to rotate guys. Is it going to be a shorter rotation this year with those three guys really being the the faces of that position group this year? Or are we going to see guys like Hero Canoe, you know, per, perhaps a Jaden McKenzie come in and and really get meaningful minutes? Yeah, I look at DT very much like I look at running back, where I think between Ty Leak, Ty, and Mike Hall, I don't know if it really matters who the two starters are. I think all three of them are going to play. A lot. I, I think that, I, you know, because last year we were very surprised at the way Mike Hall's role diminished throughout the season, but he was dealing with a, a shoulder injury for most of a year. Uh, he didn't play a ton of snaps in the spring game, but again, I assume that's probably precautionary based on the fact that he did deal with those injuries last year. And so I think all three of those guys are going to play a lot regardless of who starts. And most likely they're all going to make starts at, at different times. Like you said, I think the question is how much do the guys behind them play? And I think based on the fact that you know Larry Johnson does like to rotate a defensive tackle, I would anticipate that between McKenzie and Canoe, uh, and this is assuming they don't bring in a transfer, that at least one of those guys is going to see their share of regular playing time. But you would think those top three guys are going to be the guys who play the most because I think they've all established themselves as starting caliber kind of players. Linebacker wise, obviously, we did not see a whole lot of Tommy Eichenberg or Steel Chambers. Obviously, with Steel Chambers suffering a more of a recent injury, Eichenberg being ruled out for the entire spring in general. Uh, we got to see certainly a lot more Cody Simon, which is a guy who Jim Knowles said early in the spring that he wants to get him more of a role. He wants to have a bit more of a rotation to to keep some of those linebackers fresher, you know, throughout the season because obviously. Towards the end of last season, we were talking about Tommy Aikenberg having like no hands out there because he had, you know, broken bones or whatever it was in both wrists and hands. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure that kind of factored into to what he was, what Jim Knowles was talking about there. Um, but beyond that, I mean, the, the door could still be open a little bit, you know, at the start of 
preseason if, if Chambers and Eichenberg have any snags in recovery time at all or aren't cleared for guys like, uh, you know, a CJ Hicks, a Gabe Powers to uh, continue getting at least some development back there while those guys ahead of them recover. Yeah, I, I do buy that we'll see a little bit more rotation at linebacker this year. I think the question becomes in the really big games of a year. Are we really ever going to see Chambers and Eichenberg come off the field? And that's what I don't know. Because I, I mean, I do think those guys, even with I think Simon had a good spring. I think Hicks had a good spring. I think Powers had a good spring. Even so, I think Eichenberg and Chambers are still very clearly the starting linebackers. And so I do expect them to play the majority of the snaps. But you know, I do think Cody's Cody Simon is gonna mix in there. I think the other question is: okay, is Cody Simon gonna truly be the top backup at both linebacker spots? Or is he just going to be the backup Mike linebacker and will CJ Hicks be the next guy up at will linebacker that I I don't know, but I do think they they can feel good about the depth they've started to build at that position based on what we saw this spring. Talked about the cornerbacks, Dan Denzel Brick had a fantastic spring, certainly locking down, you know, a starting role uh, for all intents and purposes. Once again, for the Buckeyes of that position, the question I think becomes uh, if you're looking at that second guy, are, you know, who is going to end up on top there between Jordan Hancock and Davis and Igbenosin, um, who both, you know, got, got some opportunities. Of course, Hancock, I felt like got more, you know, first team looks throughout the spring. Um, so it certainly seems like Igbenosin maybe still has to, you know, jump him if he wants to, to become a starter there by, by week one. Um, Jair Brown also had certainly had some moments of his own at cornerback. How do you see that kind of second spot shaking out or, you know, how many guys could, could realistically rotate at corner as well, Dan? Yeah, that, that's another tough one to project right now because the way everybody's talked about Igbenosin and the flashes we've seen from him this spring makes me think this is a guy who's got to be in the starting lineup this year. Yet, Jordan Hancock was consistently ahead of him all spring in terms of getting those first-team reps. And so I still lean toward Davis and Igbenosin emerging as the number two corner and a starter, but I do think Jordan Hancock is going to be in that rotation as well. And my feeling would be, all three of those guys at least are going to play regular snaps this year in the rotation. I think it's possible Jair Brown is in there as well. I think, you know, we kind of saw the ups and downs of Jair Brown in the spring game where, you know, he had some good plays. He also gave up the long touchdown to Carnell Tate. So I think he's the number four guy right now and probably is less likely to play a ton of snaps compared to Burke, Hancock, and Igbenosa. Oh, Brown did get first team reps in the spring game before Igbenosin. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think that's still very much a, a competition that's going to continue uh, into preseason camp for the number two spot. But I think Denzel Burke is clearly locked up, put himself as that number one corner with the way he's performed this spring. Yeah, first string depth at safety has been pretty straightforward for a while now uh, because you know, we've got Josh Proctor taking most of those, those first team reps at free safety. Lathan Ransom, you know, staying at that strong safety position that he excelled at for most of last season. And Cameron Martinez emerging, you know, right away at the beginning of spring as the, the guy starting out there at the nickel safety spot as the, the top guy. Of course, we expected to see more of a, a battle between him and Jihad Carter. The Syracuse transfer Carter ends up getting injured. We don't we didn't see him, you know, going in the spring game and things like that. So perhaps there's more of a battle to to come into play there once Carter returns healthy in the preseason. But those certainly seem like the three guys uh, we're going to be talking about, Dan, unless a guy like Sonny Styles ends up, you know, really breaking out even more in the preseason and making a push uh, in some form or fashion. 
Yeah, I agree with you there. I think right now I, I would have to pick Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom, and Cam Martinez to be the starting safeties. And I and I do think Sonny Styles and Jahad Carter are the two guys we still got to watch. Yeah, they've talked about Jahad Carter being a guy who could play potentially any of the free safety spots. So I still wonder, you know, with the spring we've seen from Cam Martinez, do we maybe see Jahad get more reps at free safety in preseason camp just to, you know, push Josh Proctor there? You know, it doesn't. It felt like Kai Stokes had more momentum at this time last year than he does now. Um, that's not to say that he's not going to be a you know great player for Ohio State in the future because I think he's got the potential to be. But I, I think you know I don't really see him. I, I can't. I went into spring looking at him as a guy who I thought could push for a starting job. It doesn't seem like that push has happened. I, I do think Sonny is the guy that you still got to look at and go, man, it. it it's going to be hard to keep this guy off the field. He just seems so talented, but I think right now, most likely it's going to be Josh Proctor, Leif and ransom cam Martinez as the starters with Sonny playing that streamlined kind of role. And then, you know, we'll see can Jihad Carter. I mean, he's a guy who was a three year starter at Syracuse. Can he, you know, make a push either at free safety or nickel safety to, to get into that starting lineup. Uh, you know, I think obviously the knee injury this spring set him back from being able to do that, but I think it's certainly still possible that he could do that come preseason camp. Special teams wise, Dan at punter Jesse Murko, obviously back this season. A kicker we kind of mentioned going to be a battle between Fielding and Lewis. I tend to go, I tend to think Lewis, Dan. I don't know if you have a different feel uh, feeling on that, but I would think Lewis ends up being the you know the primary field goal kicker for Ohio State this season. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. I mean, Jaden Fielding handled kickoffs all of last season. He was the guy who got the first reps in the spring game. And so, I, I don't know. I think I kind of lean toward Fielding on this one. But I, like I said, I, I just don't know on that one because we really didn't see any field goal kicking reps during the practices we went to this spring. And so, we really only have the spring game to go off, which just wasn't enough of a sample size to really – draw any determinations. And so, uh, you know, I think the logic there of Lewis is sound because, uh, you know, he's a scholarship guy. He's a guy who has kicked field goals in games before at USC, whereas Jaden Fielding has never attempted a field goal or an extra point in a college football game. And so, uh, you know, certainly think that's a competition that's going to continue into preseason camp and won't be surprised if Parker Lewis emerges victorious, but it, it kind of feels like they're giving Jaden Fielding the first shot to win that job just based on the fact that he was a kickoff guy all of last season. Worth mentioning as well that Ohio State brought in Arizona State transfer long snapper John Furlman this offseason. Uh, it ended up being an important position in, in, in certain games, of course, Dan, this past season. So, uh, you know, he he's the guy at that spot uh, for sure. Yeah, he took all the reps in the spring game at long snapper. So it appears that, you know, he is for sure going to be uh, the starting long snapper. And right now, Jesse Murko is the only punter on the roster. I would I would assume that Ohio State's going to bring in a walk on here over the summer to give them some depth at punter. But right now, Jesse Murko is the only punter on the roster. So it's safe to say that uh, he will be keeping his starting punting job. Dan, on the basketball side of things now, more news on the hardwood for Ohio State since the season has ended. They bring in their second transfer portal edition of the offseason. Of course, Minnesota forward Jamison Battle came aboard. Um, I believe it was on April 6th. Ohio State on Monday, Dan, adds uh, a Shaker Heights native, Cleveland native, 
Dale Bonner, uh, who started his college career at a Division II Fairmont State, was actually recruited there uh, by the current Boston Celtics head coach, interestingly enough. Put up big numbers there for a, a few seasons, then came to, to Baylor as mostly kind of a reserve guard, uh, averaged 4.7 points per game, uh, 2.7 assists per game this past season for Baylor, who had you know very good teams the past two years. His first year there, uh, they were the number one seed, uh, regular season conference title, uh, well, a three seed, I believe, this past year in the the NCAA tournament. Um, and, and it seem it certainly seems like he's being brought in, you know, to kind of play another reserve role. Uh, you know, Chris Holman has has you know oftentimes brought in these veteran point guards to kind of help show younger guys the ropes, bring in some leadership. Obviously, we just saw a guy like Isaac Likely came in, and despite the fact that you know he he had never played for Ohio State before, ended up being a, a captain before the season even started. So. Um, you're kind of looking at a guy like that to to provide that role, given that Ohio State is losing Isaac Likely, Sean McNeil, um, you know, guys like Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale seem to establish themselves, obviously, as, as starters by the end of last season. Obviously, Thornton started every game, but, you know, Gale really coming on as potentially the, the starting uh, shooting guard for the Buckeyes from day one this year. Uh, Bonner will, will, you know, give Ohio State more experience back there um, and just more depth in general at, you know, some of those positions. Yeah, I think this is a logical addition, all things considered. I mean, for one, he's an Ohio guy, so it would make sense that you know he's a guy who would be interested in coming to play for Ohio State, even in what's likely to be a backup role. You know, you look at the numbers from last year, and they don't they don't jump off the page. Four point seven points per game, one point two rebounds per game, uh, two point seven assists per game, one point four steals per game. But you know, you look at the talent he was playing with at Baylor. Uh, they had Adam Flagler. They had LJ Cryer. They had a, a really talented backcourt there at Baylor. And so he wasn't a guy who was being asked to play a lot of minutes there. He was only playing like 15 minutes a game. And so, uh, you know, you look at his shooting stats, they're solid. He was 44% field goal, 37.2% free point. And so I don't know if the stats tell the whole story there on Dale Bonner. And I think particularly when you're projecting into what his role is going to be. As you mentioned, Bruce Fortin's going to be the starting point guard. I think Bruce Fortin uh, is a guy who is probably going to be kind of the centerpiece of the entire team. And so I, I think in Dale Bonner, you're really just looking for a guy who can, you know, give you 15 minutes a game off the bench, a guy who can, you know, be a second primary ball handler, a guy who can give you good defense. And, you know, you'd hope for a little bit more offensive contribution than you got from Isaac Likely. But I don't know that, you know, scoring was the most important thing in terms of finding a backup point guard. And so I, I think this is a, a good addition. I don't you know, I don't think it's an addition that's going to blow anyone away. It's not somebody who you, you're going to project to be a major impact player for Ohio State. But I do think that bringing in a guy who has that power five experience has shown he can be a capable role player at the power five level. I think. That's a good thing because I think we've seen in recent years, you know, it's sometimes when Ohio State has gone for these mid-major guys and tried to bring them into Ohio State, a lot of them have kind of struggled with that transition and, and haven't ultimately made the kind of impact you'd project. I think at least with Dale Bonner, you could say, okay, this is a guy who's played two years in the Big 12. He He's played a similar role there to what we're bringing him into play here. And so I think, you know, that makes it a little bit of a safer projection. And Dan, you know, that, that puts Ohio State now, you know, above the scholarship limit and things like that for next season. But, you know, if, if you thought that 
you know, Ohio State was was done there in terms of transfer portal additions. Perhaps not because, you know, right, pretty much right after Bonner announced his, you know, commitment yesterday, it was reported that Oregon State transfer forward Glenn Taylor was visiting Ohio State, you know, just yesterday, averaged 11.6 points, 3.7 rebounds per game last season, 6'6", over 200 pounds. And, you know, it kind of makes sense because if Ohio State does end up losing, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh to the NBA draft, as we kind of expect, obviously he's already entered his name, but maintaining eligibility as of now, Ohio State's already losing Justice Suing. Ohio State lost Eugene Brown to the transfer portal. Uh, Isaac Likely and Sean McNeil as well, guys that can play on the wing. Um, You know, are are you really going to kind of just bring in a Jamison battle and then, you know, expect one of those true freshmen to come in? You're talking about Middleton and Royal and expect those guys to play a a large role, you know, in their very first season. So I I certainly think, I think we're going to see more transfer portal activity in terms of some guys leaving the Ohio State roster. I certainly think Sensabaugh will probably end up staying in the draft. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up seeing Ohio State, you know, try to add one more transfer uh, to the the mix there before next season. Yeah, I don't imagine they would be looking at another transfer forward if they thought Bryce Sensabaugh was going to come back. So I think that's certainly an indicator of how they expect things to go with Bryce Sensabaugh. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a logical move because, you know, you, you look at Ohio State's roster right now. We talked about this a little last week, but you look at it now, you know, you've got you know, again, I think you've got, you know, a good center combo and Felix Akpara, Zed Key. You know, I think, you know, guard now, you know, I think you've got a pretty solid core there with, you know, Roddy Gale and Fortin as likely starters. And then uh, Tayson Chapman and, and Dale Bonner also in that rotation. I think you've got a pretty solid core there. But I think it forward, I think you've still got more question marks. You know, I think Jameson Battle is certainly a guy you expect to come in and be a starter. But then you've got, you know, Scotty Middleton and Devin Royal, who, again, I think both those guys are going to play a lot as freshmen, but they are freshmen. So, you know, you don't want to rely on them too heavily, knowing how they're going to translate to the college level. And then, you know, Tanner Holden, I think we both see as a wild card where, you know, we expected him to play a big role last year and that never materialized. And so can he make a jump in year two at Ohio State? I think that's very much an unknown. And so... I, I think there's definitely logic in trying to add one more transfer. Again, I think if you can bring in another guy that's played at the Power 5 level, has some history of proven production at the Power 5 level, that would be a good thing. And so I think, you know, Glenn Taylor Jr., you know, if if he ultimately materializes as an addition or someone similar would make a lot of sense. Because I look at this roster right now and I say, okay, do I think this is an NCAA tournament roster? Probably. Is this a roster that can, you know, achieve that goal of making the Sweet 16 that has eluded Chris Holtman? I don't know. So uh, I, I certainly do think it makes sense if you can find one more piece that can potentially, you know, add some value to your roster for next season. I, I certainly think it's a smart thing for Ohio State to be looking for that. Yeah, Dan, I mean, you just look at what happened last season, the long losing streaks, you know, the the freshmen having to play such a big role in working through stuff. And I think you're sitting there and you're going, okay, we could we could have another season where we we ask a lot of a lot of underclassmen really, but then maybe another true freshman or two, or do you want to you know really bring in another experienced guy to try to make you know a, a push and, and not have to do kind of what Ohio State ended up having to do last season? So you know that that certainly makes sense for them. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a balance there, right? It's, I mean, it's we we saw last year with guys like Sensabaugh and Fortin that if 
the freshmen come in and they're ready to make a big impact, they're going to have a chance to earn major roles quickly. But you don't want to go into the season relying on that, relying on guys who have never played at the college level. And so, you know, I, I think they've got a decent mix here of young talent and, you know, veterans. And I think if they can add one more veteran through the portal, you know, I think you'll feel pretty good about that mix. I think the question then becomes, okay, do you have two or three guys here who can become stars, who can really take you to the next level? Because I think that would be my question right now, looking at the roster. And I go, okay, I think you got a pretty solid mix of guys, but like, who's your go-to scorer on this roster? Like, who's that guy that can really take you to the next level? I'm still not sure who that guy is. I think there's a solid number of candidates, but I don't know if there's one for sure guy that I look at and go, that's the guy. There's been some, the, the roster construction has certainly been interesting. I think the last few seasons, it's been, you know, a, a lot of new pieces coming in and, and, and things of that nature. A lot of, you know, uh, mixes of of older and newer guys. We'll see how the, the full roster ends up shaping out. And, you know, perhaps I'll dive into some kind of projections and, and, and you know, looks at how all the pieces will fit together once we get a better sense for how things shake out. Plenty of time for that here as we are now getting into the deeper areas of the offseason. But next week's NFL Draft Week. And so we will uh, certainly be looking ahead to the NFL Draft next week here on the show, as well as discussing uh, any additional transfer portal activity that may happen over the next week on both the football and basketball sides. And so we hope you will join us again next week. Thanks, as always, for listening and have a good one.